Hi, this is Dr. Larry Rosen, and today we'll be mapping kids back to school during COVID on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix and our special series focusing on back-to-school concerns during the pandemic. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on using the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all the things we do, all the things our clients and patients do every single day, they matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical connections and aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Larry Rosen. Lawrence Rosen, MD, is the founder of the Whole Child Center in Northern New Jersey. Dr. Rosen is assistant professor in pediatrics at the NMH School of Medicine, developing the mindfulness component of the Human Dimension course, in addition to teaching yoga and meditation. He is a founding member and former chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics, that's the AAP's section of integrative medicine, receiving the AAP's Pioneer in Integrative Medicine Award in 2015. A graduate of New York Medical College and MIT, he completed his residency and chief residency in pediatrics at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. He serves as Senior Advisor and Chair of the Health Advisory Board for Whole Health ED. Dr. Rosen, you are one of my favorite go-to pediatricians for looking at things through a truly holistic and functional lens. And I'm so grateful to have you here with me on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. So I've been thinking a lot about this back to school issue, as I know you have, and there are so many different considerations. I know some kids are heading back to school now or in a few weeks with an altered schedule. Others are at home until later in the year, and some parents are choosing to homeschool in this environment altogether. And then we have these differences in geography, demographics, age, risk factors, and health vulnerabilities, living situations, and so much more. What's been your overall methodology when approaching this conversation with parents? Wow, you just described my entire uh, <laughs> professional life in two sentences there. That's been all we are talking about here. Uh, so I'm in North Jersey, to be clear. These are universal issues, but I do find that they're playing out differently in different regions. Right. Um, my approach is thankfully grounded in the same principles that my, my general practice is, which is to take evidence-informed paradigms, look at it from a very broad, holistic perspective, and then really dive in and individualize our plan, which is incredibly informed by the 
uh, families' needs and desires. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very individualized. It's very patient centered and family centered, and so there's not one answer right. to that. It has to take into account all of the above. Yeah, and I love that you said that. It really brings us back to these factors that everything in the body is connected. And we are all unique, and what we do is going to have an impact. You mentioned evidence-informed paradigms, and we're in a paradigm, if you will, where the evidence is changing daily. So how do you speak to families about the decisions they're making and how to mitigate the risk? I know we can't eliminate the risk, but how are you speaking about the what to do in the face of things changing daily. I found that this has challenged my ability to practice unlike anything else in in the history since I've been practicing. And so I'm gathering information. The first thing I'm doing is trying to keep up. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to gather information from multiple sources. And this is, you know, in a very fast moving environment like this, your, your, your sources of information as a health practitioner are not just journals. You know, by the time journal articles are published, forget textbooks and other stuff. But once those articles are published, it's three or four months after the events are happening. So I'm looking at, you know, web sources and tweets and the New York Times and on and on and on and trying to look at on the ground things that are happening both internationally, nationally, and very hyper-locally. I'm also really honestly having conversations with families and parents about what are they dealing with in their lives right now because their lives are different. Every school district has a different plan than the one that's one mile over. So I'll just tell you a very quick example. Yesterday, I had a mom who came in with her 11-year-old for his 12 visit. She's a teacher, a high school teacher of science in a local district. Her husband's a teacher in a different school district. They have different schedules. She has three kids. They all have different school schedules and they live in a different district. So she's got to manage five different schedules, you know, and that's happening all over the place. So we're just trying to work with individual family needs, which are based on biology. They're based on their environment. They're based on social determinants of health. They're based on school schedules. And it, you know, it's, it's a lot, but this is, this is what we sign up for. You know, it's what we do. So I feel very grounded in it in that I, I've, I found a paradigm that works for me, for our families, but it really, you have to be alert and awake and constantly mindful of the different factors that are involved. Yeah. I mean, when this all started for us here in the States, I created what I call this coronavirus circle of influence. Like what Mm -hmm. can we do so we're not in that panicked state? What are the things that we could be doing? Like, you know, clearing waste, washing our hands, making sure that we're well fed, calming the system, the nervous system and the immune system. What are these things that we can do? So in light of going back to school, if our children are going to be in the classroom, what's your stance on the basics, sort of the tier one, which might be washing hands regularly? Should we be worried about certain disinfectants, wearing masks, um, just those basics, distance? I know there's even questions about six feet, three feet in the classroom. 
Yeah. One big picture to understand is that the younger you are based on data from around the world, kids, those younger kids seem to get sick less frequently. They seem to, when they get sick, be less severely ill, and they seem to pass on the infection less than older kids and adults. So when we look at elementary, preschool, and daycare, that's different than middle school, high school, college age kids. So we have to keep that in mind. So that being said, I think this is a time where, you know, yes, I do think that being outdoors, keeping spacing, washing hands, wearing masks when you can't distance, I think that all of these factors do come into play and are helpful. And I cannot overemphasize the outdoor piece of that, that by far the safest strategies and the best strategies are to keep kids outside as much as you can. And there are ways to do that in school, right? or I should say at schools, out of school. So that's number one. And the other thing I really try to work on families and schools with is pay attention to the basics, the foundations and the fundamentals of health. What is that? Eat good food, be active, get outside, get enough sleep, focus on mindful practices, connect with other people, uh, you know, on, on, on. These are the foundational practices that are as important now as they have ever been to maintain health. Yeah, especially with all the stress for parents. I mean, there's a heightened call to some of these basics. And I was going to ask you if it's true that school-age kids are less likely to be drivers of COVID-19 than other respiratory viruses. And it sounds like based on the evolving evidence, you're saying that is true. Yeah, that's what we think as of today. Yeah. So if we move into the next stage factors that you're paying attention to, and I know we've done some special podcasts on natural killer cell function, and there's more evidence about the IgG and the IgMs and vitamin D uh, sufficiency as a determinant. Are there things you're considering in terms of testing and preparing the body to go into these environments? Yeah, I think if we think about optimizing immune system balance and function, which is the way I think about it, particularly in pediatrics, kids are unique. Their immune systems are unique, particularly at younger ages. They're rapidly developing and changing. Part of the reason we think that they may be doing better is is different T-cell immunity function Uh, exposure to different pathogens at young ages. We tend to also do a bit less testing in young, young kids Mm -hmm. versus older ones. But I do want to make sure things like gut function are optimized, that we are looking at vitamin D optimization. I think that those are critical factors because with kids in particular, we need to really focus on good gut health balance. That is the major seat of their immune system response. And so that's really where it starts. Such a good reminder there for us about immune function and supporting them and then also what they're dealing with as they come home into other environments. Radio Lab, the science podcast, not even a health or clinical podcast, did a really interesting episode on vitamin D and looking at the flu then in 1918 and also people with darker skin and how they metabolize vitamin D. And it really just made me think about some of the small colleges that are returning and how we have this great opportunity to do this experiment 
with vitamin D levels in the college-aged kids, um, if we could get the colleges on board to mo just moderate their levels and see that we're dealing with ample vitamin D levels. In a kid, I know that's not college-age kid, but is there a functional range that you're looking at if we are testing vitamin D? Is it similar to adults? Yeah, I mean, I tend to use levels somewhere around 40 to 100. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of the range I'm looking for. When we test kids, just random testing, uh, some are actually on vitamin D, tend to be lower, you know, 400, 600 units, maybe 1,000 units a day. Uh, they're almost always below 30. Um, so that's even in kids who have low levels of supplementation in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, so... We often do bump up supplementation, particularly in the Northeast here during the fall, winter months, uh, and finding that when we target levels, I'm trying to find something north of 40. In my entire career, 25 years, I can think of two cases when I've measured of kids over 100. Wow. That's it. Yeah. Almost everyone is, is, is in a very safe range. So vitamin D is a key strategy. The other are probiotics. And I would say that managing gut health through either fermented cultured foods or probiotic, prebiotic supplementation, that and vitamin D are the two major proven strategies for kids for respiratory immune health that we feel very safe with for pretty much everyone. And when you talk about respiratory health, as we stipulated, based on what we know, kids are less likely drivers of COVID-19, but we're about to hit flu season and they do get and spread respiratory viruses fairly easily. And then we have the confounding factor of first of all, people having other respiratory illnesses and being fearful that it's COVID, but also what happens if you have both at once. So are you putting in anything extra in your recommendations for addressing other respiratory viruses and illnesses at this point? Or does it go back to gut health, bacterial health, and that vitamin D level? I think that the, um, the generalizations of what I said apply no matter, you know, as pediatricians, we're very, very used to respiratory viral illnesses. We deal with this all the time, all seasons, but particularly fall and winter. Flu is one of many, many viruses that we see, including coronaviruses of different types right. over many years, RSV and on and on. So what we've learned is that there aren't a ton of specific nutritional or herbal approaches that we target individually to different viruses. While flu viruses probably had the most research behind it because it's the most prevalent, I suppose, when looking at things like elderberry or vitamin D or probiotics, we generally apply the same principles to all of that. So things like, in general terms, astragalus, um, mushroom extracts, elderberry, uh, vitamin C, zinc, these are things that tend to work now. With COVID-19, we've been particularly careful and mindful about not inappropriately stimulating the immune system right. using certain herbs and nutritionals like elderberry or certain mushroom extracts. So we're wary without knowing which virus we're dealing with now, but this is a unique situation that has not been in play before. Right. And of course, prevention is different than when we are actually dealing with any one of these viruses. Mm -hmm, for sure. What am I missing, Dr. Rosen? What, what are we not talking about or haven't we talked about that 
you as a pediatrician with such broad reach would be telling parents and other clinicians to keep our eyes on as we venture into this back to school arena? I will say that the number one thing we need to be talking about is mental and emotional health uh, and stress. And I know that um, I know that it is it has been talked about more, but it's still not enough. I am deeply, deeply worried about isolation, disconnection, yeah. uh, family stress levels uh, impacting their kids. And I've seen over and over again in the youngest kids through older ones where they are uh, depressed anxious, suicidal in some cases, really, really struggling from an emotional perspective. And as parents, guardians, teachers, the more that we can role model balance, mindfulness, and it's okay to it's okay to be fearful and to be anxious, but to model healthy coping mechanisms, our kids are listening, they're paying attention, they're watching us and they do respond. So I really that would be the number one thing that I would emphasize. Yeah, I love that you bring that forward. When you think about healthy coping mechanisms that apply to children, are you looking at meditation with children? What other activities or practices would you highlight? Yeah, for sure. Mind-body practices for kids, uh, even in young toddlerhood, can be applied. People say, well, how do you meditate with a three-year-old? But if you watch a three-year-old play or listen to a story, they're they're meditating. Mm-hmm. They're deeply focused on the present moment and aware of that, and they're not so concerned about what happened a minute ago or what's going to happen in 10 minutes. So things like outdoor play, getting involved in creative activities, there are just so many amazing ways to help kids focus on what is right in front of them as they get older, even five, six, seven years old, practices like yoga, meditation, and so on can be more formalized. And then definitely when you get to the tween teen years, there's just so many opportunities to work on mindfulness awareness practices. It's really, really critical. These should be taught in the schools from preschool on up as just a, a regular way of what we teach our kids to grow up with. So brilliant. Thank you for bringing that forward and for this truly holistic view of pediatrics, especially in this critical time. My pleasure. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix team features music by Gilbert Nakayama with production support from Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook with mixing and editing by Rowan Bradley. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please head over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.